How do investors turn financial turmoil into profitable opportunities? What's the theory behind distressed investing and how is the current state of the market's created paths for distressed investors? Welcome to another episode of LaChifre's Inside the Street. Today is Tuesday, December 19th, and I'm your host, Rob Nahigian. Now, I wanted to start with just an overview of distressed debt investing. What is it? What are the strategies behind it? What's the current state of distressed debt? And where are credit investors identifying opportunities in today's market? For starters, the definition for what classifies a fixed income security as distressed can be a little cloudy, but some more widely accepted definitions of distressed debt can be attributed to Martin Fritzen and Stephen Moyer. Mr. Fritzen is an author known for his application of financial theory to the field of high-yield bonds, and he defines distressed debt as fixed-income securities having a yield to maturity that's a 1,000 basis points higher than the risk-free rate. Stephen Moyer, on the other hand, author of Distressed Debt Analysis, defines it as some or all of a company's unsecured debt trading at a discount of 40% below par. But generally speaking, distressed debt usually refers to securities where the issuer has either defaulted, is under bankruptcy protection, or is moving toward a restructuring. These are usually securities that are rated below investment grade and usually consist of bank debt, bonds, trade claims, and even preferred shares. But distressed investors essentially become a major creditor of the distressed issuer by purchasing the issuer's debt securities. As a result, if a reorganization is successful, the distressed investors will have earned a positive return on their investment. If the company is liquidated, distressed investors may recover the entire amount they have invested because the rules of the capital structure entitle them to be repaid before equity investors. Now, going off this, a key aspect of distressed debt situations is that a restructuring event has already happened or will eventually happen. But, I mean, what's the big idea here? You see a company in financial distress. You see times of very poor market returns for investments in speculative-grade securities, specifically those triple Cs. Do the high returns really outweigh the levels of risk here? And, and there's really no clear answer to that. When we think about funds that have capitalized on distressed debt, we think of mega funds with significant access to capital, and we think less of individual investors. Of course, the information disadvantage and and high risk, but also just the illiquid nature of the market, coupled with the difficulty of forming an adequately diversified portfolio when the average trading unit for this debt is so large. So, I mean, what do you look for? What are these major firms looking for in their diligence? Well, first, what was the underlying cause of financial distress? You can see investment-grade securities be downgraded in such a short period of time, what's the reason? Can that stress even be resolved with a restructuring? And another big question is around market efficiency, right? Is the market price even valid? Can you, as an investor, accurately identify a market mispricing with regards to debt securities? And finally, creditor recoveries. How are recovery proceeds going to be distributed? But the biggest thing is is market mispricing. For example, if the potential of default is announced in the markets, there's likely going to be a sharp sell-off following the announcement. However, especially during times of broader uncertainty and emotional reactions to announcements, 
the probability of a newly mispriced security has now expanded dramatically. And although it's trading at a significant discount, the potential return may be unseen by the markets. But what's different today? Well, as we all know, since the Fed began a very aggressive series of rate hikes, the markets have experienced quite a bit of volatility this past year. And in terms of distressed opportunities, according to U.S. courts, this uncertainty has led to total bankruptcy filings rising 13% and business bankruptcies up 30% since September last year. So I can guess what you're all thinking. We see bankruptcies rebounding. We see uncertainty in the markets. Is this the time where distressed investors will begin to start taking advantage of the space? And the answer is not so clear. In fact, many credit market analysts have a very pessimistic outlook for the distressed debt space over the next year or two. Heading into December and looking into halfway throughout the month, we see a sort of static in distressed debt supply. If you look at the ICE US distressed bond index, it was unchanged at $96 billion in the first half of December. According to Bloomberg, distress names comprise just 7.3% of that $1.3 trillion worth of high-yield bonds in the ICE U.S. high-yield index. Another big thing to keep in mind is coupon payments. Of course, with issue debt, companies now have a higher coupon, so therefore the amount of debt they can put on the capital structure is much smaller. You can't service the same levels of debt because to service that debt, you now have to assume a 5% base rate. So going back to to Martin Fritzen's rule of classifying a company with spreads of 1,000 basis points or more as distressed, 137 issuers in that ICE U.S. high yield index with many large January coupon payments coming up for distressed businesses Board members are really going to have to start to consider how that payment will deprive their precious liquidity and working capital. Now, recently within that IC index and the broader realm of distressed debt, we've seen wins and losses recently. PNL Development's $465 million issue of 7.75% secured notes due in November of 25 are one of the best ICE index performers this month, rising 15 points. Additionally, Hawaiian Airlines, $1.2 billion issue of 5.75% notes due in January of 26, jumped 13 points back up to 93 cents on the dollar following its announcement that Alaska Air would acquire Hawaiian for about $1.9 billion net of cash. So there's been good news in the space. However, also within the ICE, we've seen iHeart Communications, $931 million issue of 8.4% senior unsecured notes due in May of 27 drop 11 points to 59 cents on the dollar. We've also seen Petrofax 600 million issue of 9.7% secured notes due in November of 26 fall 10 points down to 40 cents on the dollar. So Petrofax representing the the worst performer in the ICE index, but tying in some themes we've covered in earlier episodes, another big factor that's changing the landscape of distressed debt today is private debt. Unlike the last major debt restructuring cycle in 08, private debt has sort of solidified itself as an asset class, providing these companies with much more flexibility in renegotiating terms or agreeing to a forbearance period. They've may be even willing to amend terms and extend agreements with much more friendly options for the issuer. Um, These investors may also even feel comfortable swapping debt for equity if they believe in the long-term fundamentals of the business. 
So these private debt funds have absolutely been thriving amid the high rate environment. These funds are using the excess liquidity generated from lending at 8 to 15% to buy down basis at a much quicker rate than any time historically. So this has enabled these funds to capture that level of share in the market. So with regards to investments, aside from distressed debt investing, which oftentimes falls under the umbrella of certain megaphones credit businesses, every strategic allocation is pivoting towards credit. Think about the global financial crisis, mid-07 through early-09. Investors were basically forced out of every credit instrument they had allocation to. So you saw an immediate shift from credit to equity, long-duration equity, private equity, SPACs, and this is what was generating returns post-GFC. But now, think about a pension plan. Your hurdle rate is somewhere around 7 7 to 10%. And in today's macro environment, to make 7 to 10% with an equity-dominant capital allocation and a consistent return probability, you're not going to see those returns without some notable degree of credit allocation. So it looks like despite the uptick in bankruptcies, it doesn't appear that there's going to be a massive surge of bankruptcies. You sort of see private debt filling the void again. According to Wilmington, just given the cost for borrowers and lenders, both parties are going to be keen to stop short of traditional bankruptcy filings. So instead, defaults are more likely to lead to arrangements where borrowers and lenders can negotiate the terms of a debt restructuring plan. So the big theme here is that unlike historical credit crisis cycles, which sort of created a sudden wave of defaults, we're likely going to continue to see stormy waters with constant competing forces of good and bad amid the broader market uncertainty. Despite this uncertainty, though, it's going to be no secret that credit will continue to drive market returns for any portfolio heading into 2024. But I'm going to leave it there for this time. Thanks again for listening and be sure to subscribe and download the podcast. Follow the company LinkedIn page to stay up to date with our latest market commentary. And with that, we'll see you all next week. Thanks a lot. This material is published solely for informational purposes and may not be copied or recreated in any way. This podcast is not an offer to buy or sell any investment product and takes no liability for being incorrect about events that may occur within the markets. Remember that the financial markets are subject to change and past performance is not an indicator of future results. It is important to conduct your own research and carefully evaluate any financial decision prior to acting on it.